Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Insight and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Shona Siegel. Welcome back in the Press Row. Jonas Siegel here. So uh, we live in a world where data and analytics is is so prevalent and we're always looking for an edge, be it professionally and, and now even personally. And when you think about um, books and things that people are reading like Freakonomics, um, if you remember that book, if you haven't read it, highly recommend it. Um, one of the things they talk about is the notion that athletes and, and hockey players in particular tend to be born in certain months um, as just another example of using data. And you can imagine um, that, that parents have probably tried to have kids in those months to, to increase their odds of being professional athletes. Uh, having seen both my kids go through the ranks of, of youth sport, watching parents try to do crazy things to try and advance their kids' chances of winning sport gold, if you will. Um, so today we have a unique opportunity to talk to a former athlete, current executive author, who's taken that data in a different way and looked at geography and analyzes the rare coincidence, if you will, that small towns across the world produce athletes en masse. And I think back to growing up, watching the Maple Leafs play and the rise of goaltenders out of a town in, in Quebec, I think it was called Chicoutimi, that you know just continually was pumping out goalies. And I think back to the Red Wings and their successes in the late 80s and 90s, always finding those nuggets of talents in places nobody ever else did before. So I think you'll really enjoy today's episode uh, looking at geography as a source and, and the differences between uh, life for an athlete growing up in a big town versus a small town. So that's coming up in a minute. But first, a uh, word from my friends at Bet Online. As you know, we are getting closer and closer to being back to fully normal, uh, whatever that means to you. But sports is certainly prevalent. Stanley Cup Finals, NBA Finals, Major League Baseball. We're going to have a very condensed summer. Uh, leagues are ending. The NFL is upon us. We've already had their draft, both the NBA an NHL draft are coming quickly. It's going to be a very short, busy offseason. BetOnline is your number one place for all the information. And guess what? You can also place a wager. Uh, if you haven't been playing attention here in Canada, sports betting is certainly top of mind as legal bets are now possible on single games, which is very, very new. Make sure you visit the website today. Use your mobile device to join. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online is your online sportsbook experts. Hi guys, this is Jay Ashburn from Seattle Shirt Company. I know you're thinking, if I'm not in Seattle, why do I need a shirt from SeattleShirt.com? The answer is because we carry much more than just Seattle shirts. Check us out for everything from NBA and NFL throwback jerseys, sweatshirts, hats, t-shirts. 
you name it. Right now, we're offering free shipping on all orders over $9.97 and over $30 to Canada. Check us out now at seattleshirt.com and enter the code PRESSROW, that's P-R-E-S-S-R-O-W, at checkout for an extra 15% discount on your entire order. Once again, that's seattleshirt.com. Now back to more of the Press Row. Here again is your host, Jonas Siegel. Welcome back in the Press Row. Jonas Siegel here. A uh, happy Canada Day to all those celebrating. Sorry for the the short delay in, in podcasts. Uh, as you know, I, I traveled back to Canada and have been in quarantine. So free, free again. Um, able to do this again. Happy to be speaking to you and uh, happy to be reporting all as well here on the eastern side of Canada, if you will. Lots going on in the world, but uh, we're going to talk to somebody today who uh, is a content producer, a little different uh, from some of the other folks that we've talked to. Very happy to have him with us. Uh, He is a former athlete. He's involved in sports management. He's written numerous books and yesterday uh, he launched a new movie, and that is why we're talking to him today. I think it's a really interesting topic. Uh, his name is Rasmus Ankerson. Rasmus, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good to, good to be with you. So you had a, uh, a very interesting background, uh, you know, growing up in Denmark, and, and now you're in the UK. Can you give us a, a, quick, a quick tour of, of, of your life? Sure. I mean, um, yeah, I grew up in the western part of Denmark. It's a small town called uh, Herning. And, um, and you know, I was playing a lot of football during my childhood and dreamed about becoming a professional football player. Uh, unfortunately, I got, uh, I got injured, you know, so I was one of those, those, uh, those guys that uh, always tell that if I just hadn't got injured, I would have played at the Euros or <laughs> something like that, you know. I know I wasn't. I was. I was not a. I was not a top player, but um, but I was. Um, I was. I was ambitious, and um, I kind of turned my failed career as a as a player into becoming a coach. So I helped build um, the first football academy in uh, in Scandinavia, which is called uh, with a club called FC Midtjylland, where I'm actually the chairman of the club today. And um, and then I started. I was really interested in like the the, the psychological side of elite sport. And uh, I wrote a book called The DNA of a Winner, um, which, um, which then kind of led me to start doing consulting for businesses and, and speaking engagements around, around the country. Um, and I kind of took that curiosity into that topic uh, to, 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 that kind of led me to write several other books. And, um, and, and, I, and, I, and at one point, I realized that um, the best athletes in the world tend to come from the same small places. So like the best middle distance runners in the world are from the same, a lot of them are from the same village in, in Ethiopia. Then the best sprinters on the planet come from the same athletic club in Kingston, Jamaica. You know, the best female golfers are from the same region around Seoul in South Korea and so on. So I decided to travel around the world for six months and I lived and trained in each of these places to try and uncover what was the secrets. And I wrote a book about that called The Goldmine Effect. And uh, that was being published internationally. So my publisher was in London. So that's 12 years ago. I decided to move to London where I'm, where I'm living today. And, and this is where I kind of met the, you know, the owner of Brentford Football Club, who, is, um, who, is, uh, who read my book. And, um, and we started spending some time together. And, 
you know, a long, long story short, he ended up um, wanting to buy another football club and he bought FC Midtjylland in Denmark, my childhood club. Uh, I recommended him to do that. I became the chairman. We, we ran the club. We won the championship in the first year uh, after he, we, 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 took, we took over and, um, and then I got involved at Brentford. So that's kind of been my day job for the last seven years running Midtjylland and, and the football department of Brentford. And, um, and yeah, obviously this, this interest in high performance cultures kind of led me to produce the film I released yesterday, which is a kind of a side project I've been doing for the last few years, which actually happens to be a movie about my hometown, Herning in Denmark, that has produced five NSL players over nine years which is like kind of in the same, to put that in perspective, like in the same time period, Chicago produced three and Detroit produced four. So it's quite, quite amazing what the town has, has achieved. And, and I was curious to find out why and what we can learn from that. So that's, I guess that's why we're here today. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, just, just for my own ignorance and perhaps ignorance of anyone listening, the teams that, that you're involved with in football, uh, our soccer, if you will, um, are they professional teams? Yeah, very much so. So, um, I mean, um, Midtjylland is uh, the Danish team is, um, you know, has won the Danish championship three times in the last six years. So it's kind of become the top team of Denmark. And, and actually this year we qualified for the Champions League. So we played Liverpool and Atalanta and Ajax in the group stages, which was, um, you know, an unbelievable experience for us, given that, Midtjylland is just a town with 50,000 50, people. So, um, so that was a big thing for us. Brentford, uh, the other club, has, we just promoted actually to the Premier League uh, a few months ago. Um, so it's been 74 years since Brentford has been in the top tier of English football. So it's been a, it's been a big, 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 it was a big achievement for the club. And basically the philosophy of both clubs have been, you know, we've been up against teams that have bigger budgets than us. So, so we very much, you know, try and do things different. And we've been using, you know, player development and doing new things within that. And, and also when it comes to using data to drive better, smarter decisions, we've been, we've been investing a lot into that. So, so yeah, so we, it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey and we, we, I think we're in a good place now with, with, with both teams really. So. And did, did your teams have seasons this past year or were things shut down or, or how are things during COVID? No, we played. We played. We played. We um, we had a full schedule. Um, it was a very, it, it was a very compact season because we um, we started the season late because the f- the previous season finished late, so we pr- pretty much played every third day, but without without fans in the stadium. So we had like for the la- for the for the for the semifinal in the in the in the playoffs in England, um, we had. Um, we had like uh, four and a half thousand um, uh, in the stadium, and for the final at Wembley, where we promoted to the Premier League, we had we had twelve thousand in there. So it's going in the right the right direction. But we are very much looking forward to having everyone back uh, for, for for the new season here. So I, I will admit, uh, I, I've made numerous attempts to become a football fan. Uh, I have struggled, but I will say that uh, one thing that that has happened to me during COVID is I did fall in love with the TV show, Ted Lasso. Uh, was that big over? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Was that as big over there as it has been over here? 
And now I've seen a few clips on YouTube on it, which I which I thought was were, were great and really funny. But um, but yeah, it's probably it's not it's not become that big here. I think. Interesting. Okay. When we think about data and sports and analytics, you know, a lot of times we think about you know Moneyball. I'm sure you're familiar with with the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was I can't remember if it was Freakonomics specifically that dealt with, you know, the, the notion that uh, professional athletes, I think in that instance, it was hockey players, all tend to be born within certain months of the year, yeah. not all, but predominantly. You, you've traced this down to something very different, uh, and that is geographic location. How did that come to, how did that come about? So, yeah, I've been, I, I, I think there is a, this cluster effect, and I've seen that with the places I visited when I wrote my book, you know, where that be sprinters or middle distance runners or golfers. And I've kind of seen it here with the hockey players in, in Herning, the small town, um, that, that there is an effect in terms of people coming from the same place. And I've looked into lots of possible explanations. And I would say that the one I kind of try and build my, my film around, which is something called the birthplace effect. So it was a study done uh, by a, a researcher called Shan Cote. He's a professor at Kingston University in Canada. Um, or oh, Queen's University, sorry, in Kingston. Um, and, uh, <laughs> we do that, we and, do that on uh, purpose to confuse people. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, and he's, he kind of found out that there is an overrepresentation of top athletes coming from small towns. So if you, for example, are born in the U.S. in a town between 50 and 100,000 inhabitants... Uh, you have basically 18, you, you're 18 times more likely to become a top athlete than if you grow up in a city with more than 500,000 people. And that's quite counterintuitive because you would think that growing up in a bigger city would give you access to better coaches, more resources, better facilities. But there is something that goes on in small towns that seem to be much better at developing top athletes. And actually, earning the town that I'm looking into here is actually 50,000. So the question I've been asking is like, you know, is Herning really the poster boy for this birth of, birthplace effect? And, and what are kind of the, the takeaway lessons from that? So let's dig into it a little bit. Why is it, do you think, and does this professor think that it is, and there is an increased likelihood of success, however you define success, in becoming a professional athlete in whichever sport that it is, uh, coming out of a, lar- a smaller town versus a larger town, is it as simple? So, is it as simple as little, fi- you know, big fish in a little pond versus little fish in a big pond? I think there is an element of that. I think at some stage in your career, it's better, and an early stage, I would say, in your career, there it's it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than a small fish in a big pond because you get confidence, you know, you get approval. Uh, you get to, you know, take the take the decisive shots because you're the best player. You may be able to get to play in two or three teams at the same time because you play up as well with all the players. So you just get a lot more opportunities if you are a big fish in a in, in a small pond. But really, I'm kind of I'm kind of focusing on three explanations, possible explanations for this. The first one is about culture. So I think in a small town it's much more likely that you get like a one-dimensional culture where it's all about one thing. 
you know, in in this town, you know, it was all about hockey. I mean, even the, the you know, the, the CEO of the hockey club, he became the mayor of the town. That's how big it was, you know. And I remember growing up there myself, you know, it's it was all, you know, you were, you, you were driving around the town back then and you would see like kids out in the streets playing roller hockey all the time. Um, so, so, so if you grew up in Manhattan, for example, or Toronto, I mean, you know, for every choice you have to make, there's like 10 distractions, whereas in a small town, it's much, much easier to focus. So I think that means that those towns tend to capitalize better on their talent pool. I mean, in, in the sense that everyone who has any kind of athletic talent end up becoming hockey players in this case, not footballers, not basketball players. They become hockey players because that's what, that's what the culture is about. It's a little bit like sprinters in Jamaica, right? I often say if, if Usain Bolt were born in the U.S., he would never have been a sprinter. He'd been a wide receiver in American football or maybe a basketball player because of his height. So, so culture is a big thing you know another another explanation i think is, is 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 you know is a strong strong suggestion for why this happens in small towns has to do with role models and the proximity of role models you have in small towns so what often happens is that one one guy breaks the ice in this case it was Francis nelson who, who who got his debut for the islanders in 2007 and um and after that it it kind of went you know being Becoming an NSL player became, went from something you just watched on TV to feeling like a real possibility to people. So, so you had you you see that in all the places I've studied that they, you got this icebreaker effect. One one does it, and then everyone else thinks, "Oh, if he can do it, why can't I?" Because because they know that person. They you know is from their neighborhood. They know his family. They played hockey with him in the streets. They know he, you know, they know they know the weak. That's what the thing. The proximity of role models. What it does is that it kind of demystifies what it takes to be good, because you see all the imperfection as well. And rather, if it's if it's just a distant role model, it thing it it may inspire you, but it it feels still unachievable in in, in some respects. So I think in a small town, you're much more likely to have that proximity. Like these guys come back in the summer and skate. You know, there's a real ecosystem going on there. Um, and and the, like the final point I would make on that on, on on this small town effect is is more as as more to do with like actually they're more productive because they're less competitive than big cities. So if you in Montreal and Toronto, you have all these cut teams like travel teams, tryout teams. You know, you know players get cut like from a very early age, and we kind of know that when you when you've been cut for a team, it's very difficult to kind of re-engage with the system so so you have all these you have these systems that kind of select kids very early on and that's actually it feels more competitive it feels like the right thing to do but actually you cut off a lot of talent that 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 could have been become good because we know it's like it's super super difficult to predict talent from at that age and what happens in a small town is like you 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 need everyone to play because otherwise you 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 don't have a team so you focus on the social side you focus on making it interesting to try and retain the athletes as far as long as possible you don't cut them and that means that you have all these late bloomers that tend to come through the system because they have a different trajectory an example of that is actually freddie anderson that is the goalie of uh, toronto maple leaves you know if you got if you he's from herning and like if you ask the guys in herning I mean, seriously, no one saw him as an NHL player. 
he was a late bloomer. He didn't even get his debut for the Herning first team before he was like 20 years old. So, so you know, if he'd been born in Toronto, I, I don't think, I think he would have been cut from the system because he was not that good at that time. But, but in, because he was in a small town, he got that second chance. He stayed in the system and then went up to develop and kind of on his trajectory. And, um, and obviously became, you know, one of, one of the best in, in the NHL. So, There'll be there'll be three things I would highlight as possible explanations for why small towns are, are tend to be better than big cities. This is the press row with Jonas Eagle. I'm a meat eater. Uh, these guys have been on Shark Tank. Moink meat is so delicious. I love it, and you will too. Get Moink right now. Moink was founded by an eighth generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever had. Jamie Simonoff, creator of the Ring Video Doorbell, also invested in Moink. Join the Monk movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe right now. And listeners to this show get free bacon for a year with every box ordered. Let me say that again. Free bacon for a year with every box ordered. You go to moink.com. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash believe. And you get a free box of bacon with every box ordered. That's one year of best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time, spelled moink, M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash believe. That's moinkbox.com slash believe. So do you use, or are you using, or are you um, convincing others to use this type of information to focus on smaller towns for scouting and for, you know, the world has gotten very small, so... You know, are we, is the idea that for your teams and when I guess you talk to others that we should be, they should be looking for those, those nuggets of gold in smaller towns as opposed to big cities? I think it's more a matter of trying to, trying to take some of the elements, the good things from a small towns and build them into your environment, wherever you are. So it's not really, it's not, this doesn't mean that if you want, if you want your kids to become top athletes, you should move to a small town. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we, there's a lot to learn from the environments that you typically see there. So, for example, at one of, one of the football clubs that uh, I run today, we're building a new training ground now. Okay? And we've taken quite a few ideas from this research to, to try to implement that. That would be, for example, that we will have typically when you, when you build these facilities, it's very typical in sports today. We, we build these fancy facilities and then we have the first team players like completely separated from the rest because we kind of see a- any interaction that they're going to have with like younger athletes or kids, you know, that we see that as, an, as a distraction. And we kind of turn around and say, we want people to be together. We want these micro interactions going on every day where the younger athletes can kind of mirror the best and, and, and speak to them, you know, see what they're doing, you know, kind of see what habits they have. So we want, we want like a facility that brings people together rather than separating them. And I think that's, a, that's sometimes the curse of, of modern facilities is that they, they kind of separate people rather than bring them together. And, and, and those micro interactions are just, a, you know, a, such a key thing if you want to really develop talent, I think. So yesterday you released a book called The Hockey Miracle in the Middle of Nowhere. Um you know, talking again about, about Freddie Anderson and the success of um, players from your town. Um, 
tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so basically Herning is an example, this this little town, uh, which happened to be my hometown, actually, where I grew up. Uh, so so Herning happened to be like a poster boy for this birthplace effect, I think, because as I said, it's, it's 50,000 inhabitants. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of these things we just spoke about, is, it take, takes place there. So, you know, I went around the world, when I wrote my book, The Goldmine Effect, I went around the world to, to visit all these places, but I didn't really, really realize that more, Maybe the most impressive of all of these gold mines, as I call them, they were right on my doorstep in in Herning, where I grew up. So that's why I decided to return home to to try and you know tell this story and really go deep and understand how the hockey culture developed. And so so really, this is what the story that the film is about. It's about you know why did five players from such an unlikely place make it to the NHL? You know, I mean, they, they, if they this is the, one of the crazy things is that there are more there are more, there are more hockey referees in Toronto than there are hockey players in Denmark, okay? and then there's a small town in Denmark, and 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 they produce five NHL players. You know, um, yeah, you know, I think I think the, the chance of making it to the NHL if you're a minor minor league player in in Toronto and you grew up and you play hockey there is like one in four thousand, but if you grew up in in Herning between like uh, 80, 85 and 95, then you had like one in 75 chance of becoming an NHL player. That's how, how crazy it is. So, so that's what the film is about, is tries to tell this story and, and maybe come up with some possible explanations for, for why, why it happens and what we can learn from it. And, and where, is, uh, where, is, where can people see the movie? So it's on, uh, at the moment, it's on Vimeo. So if people go in there and they type in the Hockey Miracle, um, then it will come up, um, and 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 it will be available on iTunes as well in a few weeks' time, and and on Google Play too. So uh, that's where people can watch it. And what's the? Uh, I assume the players that you're talking about are are have seen it. What's been their response? Yeah, I had a preview actually three days ago. I went back to Denmark to Herning, and I had um, I made a preview for 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 all the people there who helped me helped me make the doc. And uh, and uh, and for you, like Franz Nielsen, who was the first player, he was there. Uh, you know, he was he played for Detroit today and uh, Red Wings. And you know, I'm not sure if he still got the. He used to have the the record for the most shootout goals in the history of the league. <laughs> so he 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 came back. Uh, he was on holiday and back home, so he came to watch it. And Niklas Jensen, that played for New York Rangers, was there. And um, Peter Regan, who played for Ottawa Senators. I think uh, Freddie Anderson and uh, was still in the U.S., uh, uh, so he couldn't he couldn't come back, and and the same with Oliver Oliver Bjorkstrand. So um, yeah, so they they were there. I think they liked it. They you know sometimes when you know when you when you're part of it, you don't think about why it takes place. You don't you don't know how big the story is before someone else tells it and put more an analytical view on why it happened. So I think they've been like really curious and interesting in understanding like how how, how it could happen. And I guess the final question is you've been trying to take the learnings and apply them in a business world. Um, how does that, how do you equate the two? I think I'd look at it more for, I look at, try and look at these things from a conceptual level. So basically, you know, take a concept like proximity or role models. I think that's equally relevant in a business context. You know, how do you build in, you know, role model effects in a business, you know, how do you make sure that there is a connection between 
the young guys coming to work for the company and the stars of the company. And there's these interactions that you know, build belief and, 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 and make people feel that it's possible to achieve something big. Um, I also think the point about culture and, you know, making sure that, you know, if you are a software company, basically you want to make sure that everyone who could become a top software engineer, become a top software engineer and doesn't end up doing something else. And that has a lot to do with the culture you build and how you attract people. So I think there is a lot of concepts that can be applied to, 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 to the business world on a, on a, on a conceptual level. Well, it's all very interesting and certainly timely. You know, we, we look in at the world of sport and, uh, and business today and, and data and analytics and always trying to find an edge uh, has become much more prevalent. Um, you know, he, with, you know all, we're watching two different teams right now in the Stanley Cup in, in Tampa Bay and Montreal, two different styles. Um, you know, Moneyball was, was a huge thing in baseball. Lots of discussion about things like the shift in baseball and 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 how how data and analytics and, and Theo Epstein saying that his use of it has destroyed the game. Um, so so your your writing is certainly timely. Um, the movie is, looks very very interesting. I think you know I think here in Canada and across North America, if you're a hockey fan, you're familiar with the CBC's or through now Rogers. Uh, mm-hmm program called hometown hockey and they spend you know the the better part of the season traveling to smaller towns across canada and and visiting their hockey communities and each community features their set of nhl stars who've come through the town who grew up there and it is always quite amazing to see um how how big these small towns are and they become factories if you will for for creating NHL talent for a long time. I think the town was called Chicoutimi in Quebec. Uh, they were just constantly turning out hockey goalies. I think I'm not sure if yeah. they still are, but there was a string of, of four five, six seasons where goalies just kept coming out of that town. Uh, much like you say, and there's obviously a reason for it. I don't know the numbers, but I would say that the number you, you said about odds of becoming a professional hockey player in Toronto is one in 4,000. That doesn't seem right. That seems very, very low. I think you have a better chance getting hit by lightning than becoming uh, a professional hockey player having grown up in Toronto. It's very, very rare considering the number of kids who play. And I think that uh, the most interesting thing that you've said that I've heard is is the notion of cut teams. And we're watching a big transformation right now in youth sports with contact and body checking. And that kids used to get out of the sport because of it. Uh, they've eliminated it in many leagues and that has drawn a lot of ire. Um, but I think you're right. I think that the cut, the cut philosophy and, and, you know, but you, especially yeah, with, but pens. you know, that's yeah, that, but, but you know, that's the, that's the thing that you often see that I think in big countries that have a lot of athletes because, you know, you don't really, you know, Canada, Canada can, can waste a lot of talent, but still be the best in the world because hockey is so big. There's so many athletes there, you know, whereas in a small town, you don't, you, you have to get the most out of every, every drop of talent you have. So you have to have a different approach. And that's why I think these things, you know, 
it's, it's interesting how you can apply that mindset and in, in, a, in a big country that has the luxury of having a lot of athletes and a lot of hockey culture like, like Canada. So I think you're raising an, a really interesting point there. Well, I think what's, so what I was going to say is what I think is most informative and I'm not sure if you spent any time on it is my experience through sport, through my kids, watching them grow up. And I never had any ideas that they were going to ever grow up to be anything other than beer league players of their sport. I wanted them to play sports, to learn how to become part of a team. Not that I had any notion that they would ever do so competitively, but I think the cut, the cut, philosophy as you put it has much more to do with the parents than it does the kids and, Probably, yeah. and and i wonder if the philosophy is different of the parents and those in and around sport in small towns compared to in big towns so a lot of people question, yeah. a lot a lot of people in big towns will do anything pay anything they become crazy, if you will, to try and get their kids an advantage with the hopes of either getting them to play junior or into a U.S. college with the notion that they may win the lottery and get to play pro. I wonder if in a small town, you know, just having them compete and, and be good people and, and learn a, a trade and a skill is very different. And I wonder how those two dynamics uh, play out in a big town versus a small town. Yeah, I think that um, that's a fair point. I mean, the, probably the par- probably the parents in um, I would I would think like the parents probably are less competitive in a small town. I think it's more about a social thing to play sport. Like you play with your friends, you play to have fun, and then maybe that's a more healthy way of actually raising an elite athlete than uh, than being like too too one dimensional, too 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 focused. At an early age, I mean, another another you know thing is there's been lots of studies on like um, you know should you specialize early in one sport or should you play many different sports? Um, and it seems like more at an early age is more effective maybe to, to to actually have a to to take part in a wide variety of sports than not not specializing too early from an athletic point of view. Um, and uh, and I think also in a small town you're more likely to diversify. You know you 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 play different types of sports. You know, and uh, and maybe maybe also that 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 helps make you a better athlete. You know. Well, I really I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. He is Rasmus Ankerson. He is uh, the chairman of of one championship league team. He's the director of another football team. Uh, played sport at an early age. He's an author, and now he has released a movie called the hockey Mir- the hockey miracle in the middle of nowhere which you can find on vimeo soon to be on itunes and google play uh suggest everybody watch it really interesting rasmus thank you for joining us today my pleasure once again thank you to rasmus ankerson for joining us today on the podcast hope you enjoyed it i think it gave me a lot to think about hope it does for you as well please remember you can find us and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast places subscribe and definitely leave us a positive rating if you enjoyed it if you have guests you would like to hear me interview send me an email at jonah at torontosportsmedia.com if you are a guest and you would like to appear 
you can email me at jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. And finally, if you're a sponsor and like to sponsor the show, you can also email me at jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Press Row Podcast. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email Jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.